0: J.C. Ryle's Devotional Thoughts on the Gospel of Luke Section 30 Jesus and the Sabbath Luke chapter 6 verses 1 through 5 And it came to pass on the second Sabbath after the first that he went through the cornfields and his disciples plucked the ears of corn and did eat them, rubbing them in their hands. And certain of the Pharisees said unto them, Why do you that which is not lawful to do on the Sabbath days? And Jesus answering them said, Have you not read so much as this, what David did when himself was hungered, and they that were with him, how he went into the house of God, and did take and eat the showbread, and gave also to them that were with him, which it is not lawful to eat, but for the priests alone? And he said unto them, That the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. We should notice in this passage what excessive importance hypocrites attach to trifles. We're told one Sabbath day as Jesus was walking through some grain fields, his disciples broke off heads of wheat, rubbed off the husks in their hands, and ate the grains. At once the hypocritical Pharisees found fault and charged them with committing a sin. They said, Why do you do that which is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? The mere act of plucking the heads of wheat, of course, they did not find fault with. It was an action sanctioned by the Mosaic law. Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 25. The supposed fault with which they charged the disciples was the breach of the fourth commandment. They done work on the Sabbath by taking and eating a handful of food. This exaggerated zeal of the Pharisees about the Sabbath, we must remember, did not extend to other plain commandments of God. It is evident from many expressions in the Gospels that these very men who pretended such strictness on one little point were more than lax and indifferent about other points of infinitely greater importance. While they stretched the commandment about the Sabbath beyond its true meaning, they openly trampled on the tenth commandment, and were notorious for covetousness, Luke chapter 16 verse 14. But this is precisely the character of the hypocrite. To use our Lord's illustration, in some things he makes fuss about straining a gnat out of his cup, while in other things he can swallow a camel, Matthew chapter 23 verse 24. It's a bad symptom of any man's state of soul when he begins to put the second things in religion in the first place, and the first things in the second, or the things ordained by man above the things ordained by God. Let us beware of falling into this state of mind. There's something sadly wrong in our spiritual condition when the only thing we look at in others is their outward Christianity, and the principal question we ask whether they worship in our denomination and use our ceremonies and serve God in our way. Do they repent of sin? Do they believe on Christ? Are they living holy lives? These are the chief points to which our attention ought to be directed. The moment we begin to place anything in religion before these things, we're in danger of becoming as thorough Pharisees as the accusers of the disciples. We should notice secondly in this passage how graciously our Lord Jesus Christ pleaded the cause of his disciples and defended them against their accusers. We are told that he answered the cavils of the Pharisees with arguments by which they were silenced if not convinced. He did not leave his disciples to fight their battle alone. He came to their rescue and spoke for them. We have in this fact a cheering illustration of the work that Jesus is ever doing on behalf of his people. There is one we read in the Bible who is called the accuser of the brethren, who accuses them day and night, even Satan, the prince of this world. Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. How many grounds of accusation we give him by reason of our infirmity! How many charges he may justly lay against us before God! But let us thank God that believers have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who is ever maintaining the cause of his people in heaven and continually making intercession for them. Let us take comfort in this cheering thought. Let us daily rest our souls on the recollection of our great friend in heaven. Let our morning and evening prayer continually be, Answer for me. Answer for me, O Lord my God. We should notice lastly in these verses the clear light which our Lord Jesus Christ throws on the real requirements of the fourth commandment. He tells the hypocritical Pharisees who pretended to such strictness in their observance of the Sabbath that the Sabbath was never intended to prevent works of necessity. He reminds them how David himself, when suffering from hunger, took and ate that showbread, which ought only to be eaten by the priests, and how the act was evidently allowed by God, because it was an act of necessity. And he argues from David's case that he who permitted his own temple rules to be infringed, in case of necessity, would doubtless allow work to be done on his own Sabbath days, when it was work for which there was really a need. We should weigh carefully the nature of our Lord Jesus Christ's teaching about the observance of the Sabbath, both here and in other places. We must not allow ourselves to be carried away by the common notion that the Sabbath is a mere Jewish ordinance and that it was abolished and done away by Christ. There is not a single passage of the Gospels which proves this. In every case where we find our Lord speaking upon it, he speaks against the false views of it, which were taught by the Pharisees, but not against the day itself. He cleanses and purifies the fourth commandment from the man-made additions by which the Jews had defiled it, but he never declares that it was not to bind Christians. He shows that the seventh day's rest was not meant to prevent works of necessity and mercy, but he says nothing to imply that it was to pass away as part of the ceremonial law. We live in days when anything like strict Sabbath observance is loudly denounced in some quarters as a remnant of Jewish superstition. We're boldly told by some people that to keep the Sabbath holy is legalistic and that to enforce the fourth commandment on Christians is going back to bondage. Let it suffice us to remember that when we hear such things, that assitations are not proofs, and that vague talk like this has no confirmation in the word of God. Let us settle it in our minds that the fourth commandment has never been repealed by Christ, and that we have no more right to break the Sabbath day under the gospel than we have to murder and to steal. The architect who repairs a building and restores it to its proper use is not the destroyer of it, but the preserver. The Saviour who redeemed the Sabbath from Jewish traditions and so frequently explained its true meaning ought never to be regarded as the enemy of the fourth commandment. On the contrary, he has magnified it and made it honourable. Let us cling to our Sabbath as the best safeguard of our country's religion. Let us defend it against the assaults of ignorant and mistaken men would gladly turn the day of God into a day of business and pleasure. Above all, let us each strive to keep the day holy ourselves. Much of our spiritual prosperity depends, unto God, on the manner in which we employ our Sundays.